Good morning, everyone, 10 a.m. crew. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Caroline Hughes, and I help lead some of the small groups and also uh, lead the setup team here at Forefront. So if you have questions about either of those, I'm here. But I'm also here to share with you a little bit, uh, a little story to start off with uh, going into today's message. So we were talking about how we've all gotten lost and everyone in here has gotten lost. I'm certain of that. And my mom in particular likes to do this thing where she questions the GPS and we always inevitably end up getting lost because of that. Um, you know, I don't know if it's like a generational thing or what, but one time in particular, we were in Asheville, North Carolina. And if you've ever been to Asheville, it's like straight up in the Blue Ridge mountain ranges. And we we're driving around the mountains. Your, your, your internet service gets a little spotty here and there. And my mom was convinced that the GPS was taking us in the opposite direction of how we should go because it didn't look right. And uh, so it ends up getting kind of dark. Uh, we start to lose uh, gas quickly. And uh, my sister's in the back crying and I'm sick from going around in circles around the mountain a million times. So my mom ends up calling my dad and of course my dad like is able to hop on the internet and tell us where to go. But had we just followed the GPS in the first place, we would not have you know, gotten into that situation. So, but I think we do this a lot in New York, right? question which way is the right way. I do this all the time with my friends, like, oh, I think the F train will get us there faster than transferring. You know, we all think we know the right way, but um, I mean, there's even a How I Met Your Mother episode where uh, every one of the main character debates like, oh, well, the bus will take us there faster or walking there will take us faster. Um, I think we do this all the time. It's a very natural thing to um, kind of think that we know the right or the proper route. But uh, I, I pride myself in my New York navigational skills. Uh, I, being from South Carolina, like once I got here, I memorized that map and I knew where I was going so I didn't look, you know, like a tourist or whatever. But I still, on occasions, go back to the Google Maps just to, you know, just to check my gut instinct, right? Um, but sometimes I think that we, uh, sometimes I wish we could do this with life. <laughs> you know, just punch in like, you know, the direction that I wanna go and it spits out, you know, the path that you're supposed to take, right? Like that would be wonderful to know that taking uh, this job will, you know, not get me stuck on the BQE for hours when I'm coming back from LaGuardia or something like that, which has certainly happened. Um, I'm sure to you too. but. You know, we have this thing as Christians and as believers called the Bible. But even the Bible in and of itself can be a little bit of a hard uh, nap, a map to follow, right? And especially if we kind of take a step back even further, put ourselves in the same um, vein that the early Christian church was in. So the early Christian church, all they had was the Old Testament of the Bible, and then they had Christ who came in and, um, you know, they followed. He gave uh, his messages and his parables. And now Christ isn't there anymore. We got this Holy Spirit thing, but um, what's next, right? They didn't really have a map or a guidance to go off of at that time beyond what they knew from, again, their, their culture and their upbringing, the um, 
the teachings of Christ and then what they were experiencing and seeing at culture at that time. Um, they didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been written then. In fact, a number of these disciples and uh, followers of Christ wrote the scripture as we know to be the New Testament. It was a lot of uh, documenting. Um, I mean, we know this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the actual um, recaps of Jesus's life on earth. And then the next like half of the Old New Testament is a bunch of these letters back and forth to each other. So basically, they were kind of having to navigate as they went along. They're, uh, they're kind of like Lewis and Clark in that matter. Um, they were authoring the next chapter of the church's history as they went along. So in this series of inclusion writers, we've been talking about some of these members of the early church. A couple weeks back, Jonathan talked about Peter and how Peter had a vision uh, that told him, hey, you can eat pork. And Peter's like, that's not what I've known to be right ever. And so now they're in this place where um, Jews who kind of like learn to follow Christ are starting to mingle with Gentiles and Gentiles have some things that they're doing that, you know, Jews they knew and how they grew up were like, hmm, that's what the law told me, but Jesus said this, so what, what's going on? Like what is, what is right and what is wrong? So, you know, of course, when we're uncomfortable, we go back to what we know. Um, when, you know, it, taking it back to my map and lost um, analogy, sometimes we'll take the longer route because we know that's what's, you know, that's what we know. So at this time, you can imagine there's a ton of confusion going on. You know, um, they're like, you can't talk to these. Some of the former Jews, now Christ followers, are like, well, this guy's not circumcised. Can we have dinner with him? And like, they didn't wash their hands before they ate their pork. So they're still going back to a lot of what they, what they knew. Um, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus had come, and he didn't come to destroy the law, but rather fulfill the law. So now it's not about uh, the rules, and it's not about the us versus them mentality. And a number of these uh, disciples were now taking what they were learning and experiencing and beginning to share it throughout the land because what they knew was what Christ taught and Christ told them to go about and tell others about this love and this acceptance of Christ. And so what they knew now was we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Um, we are just as accessible to God as the next person. Jesus is resurrected. This is incredible news. Let's go out and, t and tell people. So one of the inclusion writers that I want to tell you about, um, I'll, I'm going to share the story of him with you because he kind of was one of these very brave souls who was navigating the territory as he went along. So this is a story about Philip. Philip is journeying along, you know, like I said, sharing the love of Christ. And in Acts 27 through 30, we'll begin this story. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kanat, which means queens of Ethiopians. Uh, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran uh, up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay. So we're talking about a eunuch. And what physically classifies a eunuch is a person of the male biological makeup with underdeveloped testes. Maybe this individual was born this way, or more likely he was chosen by someone to be made this way in order to serve in some capacity. So eunuchs at the time, if I was Ira Glass, I would tell you to maybe take your children out of the room for this part of the story. But essentially, eunuchs were, um, were made to serve the very wealthy and the royals as bedchamber guards because they could not physically rape the wife or the daughter or the sons of the family that was there. So one thing we know for sure is that he was very well trusted and, and these men were very well respected in the home of their servanthood. So another thing that we know about this eunuch that the scripture tells us is that he was God-fearing. Okay, he went to Israel to worship at the temple. At, at the temple. Um, and Philip finds him reading the Old Testament. So another thing too to point out is that he was, this Ethiopian eunuch was probably very well educated because um, not a lot of people at the time were able to read the actual text. Uh, so let's read what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in the section of scripture. Again, this, is, this section of scripture is found in Isaiah but it's, re, um, it's, it's in Acts again. So Acts 30, or Acts 8, 30 through 33. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Um, so again, this is a Old Testament passage, but it is one of the prophecies referring to Christ as the Messiah. Um, and what these verses are talking about specifically is the human dignity that was ripped from Jesus when he went um, to be crucified. Um, they're touching on a number of aspects of this. So we know that Christ stood in front of the masses and um, they chose the criminal over him. In fact, he was on trial for something that he had no, no, nothing to do with. He had no wrong, and yet he also didn't have anyone in the crowd to stand up and defend for him. He was also stripped naked and mocked as king of the Jews, so virtually humiliated. So why do you think that the eunuch was drawn to these particular verses? I mean, <clears throat> after all, he's probably very well respected, but let's take a step back further, maybe to health class. So we know that certain hormones are produced in the male, in males biologically um, that happen around um, the time of puberty that make men either more muscular than, than females or their voice deepens or they grow facial hair. And we know that facial hair is very um, 
symbolic of, uh, of a certain stature within the Jewish community. So while he was probably well-respected in the palace, out in the world, and especially in Jerusalem, he probably looked a little funny. Um, he most likely got a lot of stares when he walked through the city, and honestly, a lot of people probably chose to walk on the other side of the street of him. And maybe if he was to ask a question to someone, they might give him a short response, or maybe just like virtually ignore him. So see, to further add salt to the, to the wound, um, Deuteronomy 23, the law, says that those with missing genitals were forbidden from worshiping in the temple. So he probably wasn't even allowed to do what he set out to do, worship in the temple, because of his ambiguous stature. stature. Um, if you put yourself in his chariot, you know, he had journeyed all this way and was probably turned away. Um, he was, you know, most likely told that his type wasn't welcome there and that he's incapable of worshiping God because his body alone was sinful, even if he didn't have a choice in the matter. So I can imagine him feeling fairly helpless at this time as he sat there. And now this guy, Philip, comes up to him. And, you know, I imagine this whole time that the people of the land weren't even talking to him. Um, but Philip comes up and he's like, what's up? And so you can imagine in the least bit that this eunuch was surprised, but I bet he was also a little bit intrigued. Like, what, what's, what's up with this guy? Maybe he knows something that I don't know. So in Acts 8, 34 through 35, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Okay, so let's pause. Let's talk about Philip for a second. Um, Philip, again, grew up in this ultra-conservative, law-preaching setting. He knew from Deuteronomy, he knew the text, and he knew Deuteronomy, and yet he chose to speak to this person instead. Um, he was used to knowing what was good and right, but now in this time when he was trying to have to navigate the route based off of what Jesus was guiding him to do, um, you know, I feel like Philip being led by the Spirit decided not to revert back to what he was comfortable doing. So I want to ask us today, what areas in our belief structure do we require the need to be right? Um, I'll be the first to confess that when I first moved to New York, uh, I, I grappled a lot with the um, LGBTQ community and conversation um, because I knew these certain rules. Um, but I think that sometimes we revert back to what we know versus leaning in to what we should be learning. I'm not saying throw out the Bible in the scripture. I'm not saying that at all. But the Bible also says that the Bible is living and breathing and active. We are essentially an extension of that early Christian church. We're navigating things as we go along. And we have these texts to help guide us. So I'm not saying it's, it's not about trusting the Bible. It, it's about trusting God and not necessarily doctrine. Um, 
so I'm reading uh, this book called The Sin of Certainty, and there's this quote that I'd like to share. Um, the deeper problem here is the unspoken need of our thinking about God to be right in order to have a joyful, freeing, healing, and meaningful faith. The problem is trusting in our beliefs rather than trusting in God. So Jesus lived in radical ways from what was being taught at the time when he was on earth. And as a product of such, his disciples had to live in radical ways too. They had to live within this questioning environment um, and lean on what they knew. And that was what Christ taught and that was unmerited favor. So to the eye, the Ethiopian looked different and unworthy, but Philip, however, stopped and saw this person for who he was. Not as a eunuch, but as a child of God. He was a member of creation, just as Philip was, and deserved to be seen as that member of creation. Last uh, piece of the story that I'd like to share with you is Acts 8, 36 through 38. So as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him. So just like that. They didn't wait for, you know, the eunuch to go back to the temple and sacrifice an animal. They acted then and there. So sometimes I think that we can sit on our hands a lot with this. We have to like wait for the right moment to, to feel adequate before we, before we step out in faith in one way or the other. Maybe we feel like we're waiting for our finances to get in place before we can give, or, or we're waiting to um, learn more from, our, um, from the people who look different from us before we're able to have a conversation with them. Uh, maybe we're waiting to hear the words, I'm, you, uh, forgive me, I'm sorry, before we're able to have, um, you know, come back into a relationship with someone. But I think um, I have to question myself sometimes and ask, is this acting in trust? Um, or is it more of my need for security? Are we preventing ourselves or others from living in the truest form of how we were each created? Um, sometimes our faith in Christ can get a little bit shaky, especially depending on like, how we feel at the moment. Um, but know that that's, that that's just our feelings. We can trust in God in those moments. So see, because Jesus died and when he died, he saw humanity. He didn't see male or female, Jew or Greek. Um, he didn't see slave or free. He faced the ultimate trial because he knew that we will all hurt and that we will all need love. He saw that common thread of humanity between each person. First Timothy 2, 1 through 7, I'd like to share with you too. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, uh, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and this is pleasing in the sight of our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, 
and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to be a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So here he's saying, basically, um, you know, there is one mediator for all men, and that is Jesus Christ. In a moment, um, the band is going to come back up. We just send some songs, and at some point we will uh, ask you to come up and receive communion. I know that communion can be a little bit of a hard time for a lot of people just based on your upbringing, um, whether you're Catholic or not, or, or even Protestant. Um, we're taught that this is a sort of a cleansing ceremony. You have to be right with God before you come up and partake, or you have to be a member of the church before you come up and partake. That is not our sentiment here. Um, what it is here is a, is a form of symbolism, a form of thanksgiving, and a form of meditation um, for what Christ did for us um, by giving of his life. So during that time, I want you just to take a moment to really pray and, and ask yourself if you're, if you're feeling stopped from taking communion or you're feeling distracted. Um, because what he, what he did in his death was to show that each person is already accepted and already included. So I want you to pray and confess the fact that maybe we've put our, um, our certainty and our own modern day laws uh, in front of uh, people. Uh, perhaps we've put rules on ourselves that stop us from feeling affirmed. Maybe you've been a victim of someone else's narrow-mindedness, but know that today, you are a child of God, fully loved, fully forgiven, and fully good. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, I can't stop thanking you enough for the ability to be able to commune with you on an ongoing basis, to be guided by you, to have you as my direction, as my uh, navigational beaker. So thank you again for... Um, for this message, for this community, and, and for that love. Thank you that you saw our humanity and, and you chose to love us. In your name I pray, amen.